you would uh, grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5, that's where we will be this morning. Once again, I know it doesn't seem like a traditional Palm Sunday uh, passage text. We'll interweave some elements. If you want the traditional Palm Sunday sermon, come this evening. Uh, so that's that, that. That's what I've got for you. Um, reminder of that at, at the Life Center, as well as Cross Connection Church is doing uh, week-long Holy Week services as well. So if uh, depending on what the weather does, if uh, Cami is a little far for you in the weather, then Cross Connection is also having services this week. Um, the other thing, and you can go ahead, if you find the passage, stand there. Uh, we, we, won't, uh, we won't do popcorn, but uh, I invite you to stand. That's a great indicator that you're ready to go. The other announcement I want to make, though, is that um, it's in the bulletin about baptisms. So next Sunday, Easter Sunday, rain, shine, snow, whatever, uh, Emma Parker is getting baptized. And so uh, we will be doing that next Sunday after service. So you'll get to hear some of her story uh, during the service. But then we invite you to go down to Pink House with us. Uh, she's like, man, you said any time. And so uh, let's go for it, right? Uh, and on Easter Sunday, what a great memory. But uh, I've heard of a, at least one other person who has, who has been thinking about it and talking about it. And what I want to say is to get it done by next Sunday for Easter would be really tough. But if you're still wanting to get baptized before I leave, uh, we've got a little window of time yet to work with. And so we can try to make that happen. First Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties. Say casting with me. Casting. Now say it as if you actually believe that Peter means it. Casting. Yeah, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. That's the word of God this morning for us. Amen? You may be seated. I, I often give uh, sports, some sort of sports illustration because that was part of my life growing up. And you've heard a lot about soccer and you've heard a lot about track. One of the other things that I did um, in high school was I did a 150-mile bike ride. It was to, to raise money. I did it with uh, an adult. And uh, he encouraged me that it would be wise to begin preparations for that rather than thinking that in my youthfulness I could go ride 150 miles on my bike in just, you know, a sitting. So uh, we actually started doing some training rides, and, and we would go, you know, a few miles at first, and we would extend that. And I think our longest training run was about 50 miles or so, and uh, and it was good to build things up. Now, you know, when I played soccer, you think of running a lot. You do track, you think of running a lot. That one picture up there on the, uh, I guess it would be on the left, that was a foreign concept to me, uh, the idea of lifting weights to, to build the body for preparation. Uh, as a matter of fact, when when we would condition for soccer, don't tell anybody, Jim, but when we would condition for soccer, we had about like a mile and a half around our junior high and high school and all this kind of stuff that we would run. And the interesting thing was that on the back side of the high school, the coach couldn't see us. I didn't like to run. 
So me and a few friends would somehow fall a little bit further behind each loop that we had to make, and it seemed to always happen around the backside of the high school for some reason. But uh, preparation's not always our favorite thing, is it? And yet we're all aware of the need to do it. Sometimes we prepare for school and we're studying and we're reading and we're, we're trying to remember things for exams. Uh, we prepare for marriage, right? You, uh, you find the right person, hopefully. Uh, you go through premarital counseling, hopefully. You go through the process of finding the dress and finding the outfits, where it's going to take place, all that kind of stuff, honeymoon, all that kind of stuff. We prepare for children, right? Ladies, we go through a nesting stage, right? We get the house ready. We get the maybe the nursery all decorated and put together. We baby-proof the house. Right? We don't want them sticking electric, or we don't want them sticking knives into the electric until we're ready for them to do that. And you know, that's usually a couple years down the road in preparation. But teenage years, well, that might be a little late because they've probably already done it. But but we're familiar with this idea of preparing. And and as we go back to our passage this morning, I think that God directs us to prepare for spiritual warfare. As we look at this passage. That's what I believe we need to have in mind, is that God directs us to prepare for spiritual warfare. As I already mentioned, it's not your traditional Palm Sunday service, or or message at least, and yet as we walk through, I'm going to highlight a couple things here and there, where we see Jesus in preparation for spiritual warfare. Because the cross wasn't just physical. The cross was spiritual. And as we talk about spiritual warfare, you know, we'll we'll talk about it from time to time. And we look at some of the different authors in Scripture. Paul talks about us being clothed or dressed or armored for spiritual warfare, right? And uh, Peter here takes a little different tack. If you look at verse 6, humble yourselves. And so we have to ask the question again, right? which takes us back to last week, right? And talking about leadership and and the role of elders and our role in response to leadership, part of which is clothing ourselves with humility with regard to leadership, subjecting or submitting ourselves. But if you remember, last week we started out with that therefore, or some of our Bibles say so, which meant we had to go backwards again. So all of this preparation for spiritual warfare is linked back to what? Suffering. The trials, the suffering, the pain, the difficulties we're going to go through in life have a spiritual warfare element to it that we need to be aware of in our journey. And so Peter lays out three things that uh, we'll highlight this morning. First of all, And this should come as no surprise, humility before God. Humility before God. In dealing with church leadership, Peter reminds us that we are to be clothed. Remember that that word for clothed was to take up the servant's apron and to put it on in preparation to serve. And so we are supposed to clothe ourselves with humility. It doesn't mean when we want to, we just go, oh, I think I'll be humble today. Now, Keep in mind what Peter's talking about, to clothe ourselves, to adorn ourselves. So our minds need to have an attitude of humility. Our hearts 
need to have an attitude of humility. Our soul needs to have an attitude of humility. Our body needs to be subjected into an attitude of humility. To be clothed is to take the whole person and to become humble. We're wrapped in it, not just for the sake of leadership, but for the sake of living out the spiritual life. And here Peter reminds us that our humility starts where? Before God. If we can't be humble before God, we're likely not going to be humble before leadership, and we're likely not going to be humble before our employers or the government or anybody else that we run into. Now, we would think this is common sense, that we should be humble before God. We would think it's common sense. I mean, when we walk through our life, hopefully at some level we certainly know that we don't know it all. So you would think it would be common sense for us to approach God with humility, and yet we seem to somehow tell ourselves all the time we know what's best. That we even happen to know better than God what's best for us. Well, as spiritual warfare and suffering and trials and difficult times come upon us, we can't pretend to have it all figured out. We cannot walk into these situations, these circumstances, and go, I know exactly what to do here. Humility before God looks, looks very familiar to a discipline that we're called to practice, that Jesus invites us to practice, called prayer. Humility before God says, I am coming to you, God, because while I think I know it all, and while I think I've got it all figured out, and I think I know what the plan should be, I'm coming to you to double-check. At very minimum. The greater reality should be, I'm coming to you because I don't have that all known. And yet you do. So would you please align my will, my desires, my path with yours. See, sometimes we face the spiritual warfare in our lives and we try to fight the battle really hard. But part of humility in this journey is recognizing that we might be fighting the battle so hard on this front, but the enemy is actually over here. And so part of, part of humility is going, God, I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to engage. And, and why is it that I feel like I've been struggling so hard? I've been fighting this. I've been working on it. And yet to no success. And God goes, because you're in the wrong spot. You're focused on a shiny object over here, thinking that that's the issue. And see, humility goes, God, where do I need to direct the efforts and the energy in this war? Generally, and and we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks, generally we think it's Satan or some other evil spirit. But what if perhaps sometimes the warfare we're facing is the residue of our own flesh? And so here we are, we're busy praying against Satan and we're praying against evil spirits and we're praying hard. And trust me, as a pastor, I've encountered this in people's lives where, Pastor, I can't overcome. I've just been praying and I've been praying and I've been praying. And then you pause and you go, so let's talk about sin in your life. Now, that's not always the answer, right? But sometimes it can be. And we don't humble ourselves because we sit here and we go, oh, no, no, I've got the sin thing figured out. I'm all taken care of there. So why can't I defeat this over here? 
instead of walking in humility to say, maybe I don't have it all figured out. Maybe I don't have it defeated in my own life. And so the lingering effects of our own engagement with sin can present a spiritual warfare context for us that we're, we're negligent to. Humbling ourselves before God reminds us that God is the only omniscient being. As much as I like to think I know it all. And for me, it's it's minimal because if we sat down and you know played Trivial Pursuit, some of you guys would just like blow me away in the game because you know it all. Or you think you know it all. But in either context, there is only one who knows it all. And that is God. But see, what, what happens is our common sense leaks. Our common sense leaks. We're going to talk about a bunch of leaky things this morning. Our common sense leaks. See, we engage in spiritual warfare, and we find success, we find victory, and we keep going down that road. But common sense goes, but that's not really the battle I need to keep fighting. The battle's now over here. But see, common sense leaks. Unless we plug the holes, common sense doesn't build up. It leaks. And so as a result, we're like, God, God, I've got this one figured out. Thanks. Be, be my co-pilot. Right? Be my backup. You know, be my... Be whatever you want to be, but I've got this figured out because common sense leaks. And we don't go, wait a second here. God is the only one I'll know. Right? Which common sense should take us to? Humility. This, this act, this thought of thinking more highly of ourselves. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, very familiar with, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So what's the invitation? Worship God. Present our bodies as a, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By the way, that transformation and the renewal of our mind helps to start filling those holes where common sense leaks. That by testing what you that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse three, for by the grace given to me, I say to every among everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. See, there's the key: not to think more highly. That's where humility breaks down. And that's where common sense leaks. Humility goes, I know who I am. I know what I'm capable of. I know how God has created me. I know my identity in Christ. I know what's going on. I, I've got this all figured out by the grace of God. Because how does Paul finish it, right? Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith. That God has assigned. One author puts it this way. Humility involves seeing myself as God sees me. As wonderfully able to do all things. 
but only able to do them through God. That's where we often break down. We'll put the phrase up on our wall. We talked about this when we went through Philippians, right? We'll put the phrase, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've got this. We build our American mentality of telling our kids, you can be anything you want to be. Mm, Really? But that's not a biblical principle. You can do anything you want. Well, if we take it to the full thing, then apparently I can bear babies. So I, you know, if I can do anything I want. Remember common sense? Common sense, humility, common sense. Humility says, I know who I am in Christ. What Christ has designed me and made me to become and do. And only through him can I do that. So no, I can't become anything I want to be. Humility is understanding that. Humility is maintaining the proper perspective of myself in relation to God. That's why in spiritual warfare, I have to begin by humbling myself before God. See, some of us want to jump into spiritual warfare. We're kind of like, bring the devil on. Let's go. I've got the sword. I've got the shield. I've got the helmet. I've got it all. Let's go. Let's engage it. And I just cause us to, to or I just, I, I just caution us to say, pause for a moment. Even if it's an ever brief moment, I don't care how many demons you've slayed. Pause for an ever brief moment to say, God, is this a battle I'm supposed to engage in right now? I think I know how to engage it. But God, am I supposed to engage this battle? That's when spiritual warfare goes really bad is when we step into it and we don't bear the authority Christ has given to us to fight that battle. So right now, Right now, I'm not asking about your past. I'm not asking about the future. Right now, how is God inviting me to humble myself before him? Some of us, it might be a pride, arrogance thing. That's okay to let it leak out. Pride and arrogance is okay to let it leak out. But, but for some of us, it might be, I've got this. God, you have gifted me. You have empowered me. You have done all of this. And then God says, but not right now. Not for this moment in time. Esther had, for such a time as this, Esther was already beautiful. Esther already knew her identity in Christ. Esther already knew the the empowerment that she carried with her. And it it wasn't until just that moment in time, for such a time as this, have you been placed and have you been granted the authority to move forward in it. Many of us are sitting here and, and, and we go, man, I, I think I know what God wants me to do. I think I'm empowered to do it. I think I know my identity. Boom! It's like the roller coasters that launch you now instead of, you know, click, 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 click. And, and we just want to be launched. And God goes, but not right there. Not right now. Or is God inviting me to humble myself before him? Maybe I have been in a spiritual battle and and I felt that it's been this, uh, 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 you know, demonic, or it's been Satan, or it's been whatever. And I haven't paused to actually go. Let me look at my own life for a moment. What sin might there be that I'm just ignoring and not dealing with? 
or I've become so arrogant that I thought I've overcome it, and I actually haven't. Remember Paul's words? So that I wouldn't become arrogant or prideful. I was given a thorn in the flesh. Why? To keep Paul humble before God. I would pray that doesn't have to come to us. I would pray that that our, our journey would say, I always want to come first to God and then move forward. Let me have the kids come up here for a minute. You guys have it really easy. There's an advantage of sitting in the front row, isn't there? Priority seating. Ooh, maybe we should start charging for priority seating. What do you think? They do it on planes. Maybe we could do it in the church. Now, you know, they actually tried that and it didn't work so well. So that's we know that, right? That's why you have free Methodists. I think I'm, I'm serious. They charged for pew spaces. And so free Methodism, in part, stemmed from them not having to pay for pew space. Anyways, that, that's totally not the conversation we're going to have. So um, some, of, some of you guys uh, like to ride bikes. Some of you guys like to ride bikes a little recklessly. Um, we won't mention any names, Elias, right? Um, yeah? Well, what happens when your bike breaks down? Can't ride it anymore, so what do you have to do? Fix it. How? Tools. And do you do that, or do you go, Dad? Here you go. You've tried to fix it. And how successful have you been? Not that good. So you have to go to somebody else to help you, whether it's Dad. And, and you know, sometimes we're okay with, like, replacing an inner tube in the tire or making some mild adjustments. But sometimes we're not good enough. And, and then you take it to a guy like Jim, who in the past has worked at a bike shop and can make all those fine adjustments and do everything, right? But you take it to an expert. He taught you how to put a bike tire. See, those, those are great things to learn. So keep learning those things. But, but if our bike breaks down or we wreck it or something, happens like that, and it needs repairs, we go to somebody that knows how to do that. Yeah? Yeah? Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm not sure, and I'm not going to try to interpret, so um, that usually goes badly for me. Mm, It could be. It could be. So, what about when you're sick? What do you do? You don't go to your mom first? Check your temperature, maybe check with mom or dad, rest. If you're really sick and they're not sure what's going on, then what do we do? Go to a doctor. And why do we go to a doctor? They know how to help us. Yeah, yeah. Have you guys, have any of you played sports uh, hard enough that your shoes had to look like that up on the picture? Yes? Yes. I I, uh, I I want to say almost any good soccer players had to have at least one pair of shoes that have been duct taped or electrically taped or something done to them, shoe goo and, and a whole bunch of things done to them together. But eventually, 
if it if it separates enough, you can go buy new ones. But another option you might be able to try is to take it where? Yeah, to like a shoe shop. And they, they sometimes have other glues or sometimes they can sew them and, and they can... Yeah, sometimes they glue it and it falls apart again. Yep, it's kind of like taking a card on mechanics sometimes, right? Oh, wait, that's... Anyway, okay. So we know where to go to when we have different situations, whether it's our bike or a pair of shoes or we're not feeling well. So when other things are happening in life and we're getting really frustrated with what's going on, where do we take it to? Where... Someone, someone that can fix it. So let's let's think about your life right now. You're, uh, you, you have these plans for your life, and those plans aren't taking place. So how are you going to fix that? Oh, go to somebody that who might. Oh my God, that might be a good idea. Yeah. So when we're having life struggles and things aren't going well, we might go to God and. That kind of ties into what we were just talking about, about humbling ourselves, right, and going to God. But it also talks about what we're going to – it also mentions what we're going to talk about next, okay? And and so I want you to listen because guess what? When things don't go our way, usually we get frustrated, right? Maybe start getting a little angry. Do we get irritated with our siblings when things aren't going our way? Yeah. Do we get irritated with our parents when things aren't going our way? Yes. Do we get irritated with friends when things aren't going our way? Yeah. That's what happens with your cousins, but never with you. But it never happens with you, right? Yeah. So so we know that we've got to go somewhere. By the way, this is a great discipleship moment for your parents. Because real discipleship, when our kids come frustrated to us first, where do you think parents should direct us? Which is God. See, see really hardcore discipleship? In those moments when our kids come to us, whether they're fighting or they're sick or they need a bike repair, where do we go first? See, we've got this, we've got this, yeah, to God. See, we've got this habit of going, oh, you've got a fever, so let me grab the drugs, pop them in you, let, go rest, go do this, go, how about, how about, yep. Uh, but I'll, I'm guessing that somewhere in your house, your mom has drugs to provide for you if you're sick. So, um, medications. How's that? Is that a better term? Okay. I thought it was safe. We're not like inner city Spokane talking drugs. We're talking Orofino, Idaho, although I understand the confusion. But I want you to be listening to what we should do next. Go to God and what do we do when we go to God, okay? All right. Let your head back there. Parents. Parents, I know we kind of slid by this for a moment, but I, I, I'm serious. Parental discipleship, the first thing is go to God. If we don't train our kids to go first to God, maybe God will be in there somewhere. See, what typically happens is our kids get sick, right? I don't want the show of hands right now. I'm guilty of it, too, because our kids get sick, and what's one of the first things we do? Oh, you need some ibuprofen. You got a fever? You need some ibuprofen. You're dehydrated. Drink some water. Those are all great things. God's given us wisdom and discernment, but what if the first thing we did is, you know what? Let's take this to God. 
Let's pray together about this. Let's ask God for healing. That doesn't mean that we go, okay, we're going to wait 24 hours before we give you anything. It's just the reaction. Is our reaction first to God or is our reaction first to technology and science of today? Humbling ourselves before God says, I go to God first on everything. My car breaks down, I go to God. And as I go to God, I go to the mechanic. As I'm sick, I go to God. And then I go to the doctor, or I go to the medications, or I go to whatever might be there. But part of going to God is the second element, which is releasing anxieties. We're not only supposed to humble ourselves before God, but we need to release anxieties before him. If you look back at our passage this morning, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Now, my Bible has a comma, which means part of humbling yourself is a continuation into verse 7. It's not a new concept. Does that make sense? So really, this could be a sub-point of one, but it's not. So humble yourselves. How do you do that? Verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Part of humility is casting my anxieties on him. The things that, that cause me to become uptight, the things that cause nervousness in me. Some of our Bibles say casting all of your cares on him. The verb tense here is, is indicative of a decisive action. Listen to this. What Peter says here is casting all of your anxieties or casting your cares. It's a decisive action. It's not a, well, God, I kind of hope that you take care of this, but I'm going to go do this. It's, God, I am anxious right now. I, I am frustrated right now. I am nervous. Uh, I'm fill in the blank, and Peter says, then cast it to God. It's a decisive action, because when I cast it, what does it mean I have to do? I have to let go of it. Humility comes alongside and says, if you really trust God, then you'll let go of it. So Peter says, part of humility is casting our anxieties and our cares, the things that cause us to stay awake at night, casting them, a conscious decision to release them to God. Anxiety is a powerful weapon for the enemy. Anxiety paralyzes us from moving. How often has it done that? You just think through your life. How often has it been a, I don't, I don't know, how's God going to provide, what's going to happen? What? And so we, we're frozen in time and space rather than going, God, I know this is your invitation and I'm going to release it to you then and move forward. See, casting our anxieties on God is a control issue. Because when we won't cast it, it means that we want to make sure we know how it's going to go. Turn to Matthew chapter 6 with me. Matthew chapter 6. When 
not going to read through the whole thing. You pick it up at verse 25. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. This is that same word when Paul sa- or when Peter says, cast all of your anxieties. He goes through and he says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear because he gives us the examples of the birds and the flowers and all this kind of stuff. It goes down to verse 32, for the Gentiles, seek after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Verse 34, therefore, what's the therefore for? We go back up, verses 25 through 33, and we read that again. We go, oh, because of that, I don't need to be anxious about tomorrow. So there's this process of when anxieties develop, I need to reflect on why I should not be anxious. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. It was just about a year ago that we talked on this. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, jotted down. I'm running ahead. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in in prayer, which is, hum, which is humbling myself, right? It's humility before God. In prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace... Of God. So here's the catch. If I'm still wrestling with peace, have I truly cast the anxiety on God? Or am I sort of in between where I'm, I, I've kind of put it out there for God, but I'm kind of holding on to it? I, if God will take it, then I can release it. So Peter goes, but it comes to you first. Cast it and let it go. Notice that Peter in this passage doesn't indicate a particular anxiety. You know, when we go back to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, we see that he talks about food and we see that he talks about clothing. And, and, and so the basic necessities of our lives, don't, don't be anxious about those things. But when we come to Peter, he says, cast all your anxieties. Not just your physical anxieties. Your psychological anxiety. What does that person think about me? What, what's going to happen tomorrow when I need to speak this hard truth to somebody? What, what about cast all of it on Christ? More than likely because of the therefores to the therefores to the back passages, Part of what Peter has in mind is the suffering and the pain and the trials and the difficulties we go through. God, how long do I have to endure this? I don't know if I can endure another day. Another day. Cast the anxiety on God. And why is this important? Because he cares for us. See, Peter doesn't leave it hanging there. It's not a dangling participle. Not casting all of your cares. Just cast it all on God because He cares for you. And this is the problem. We're not often convinced that God cares for us. Think about it. Mark, you can just jot these down if you want to look them up later. Mark 4 35 to 41. Jesus and the disciples are in the boat. The storm's gone. Jesus is asleep. 
What do you think Jesus did with his anxieties? Cast them on the Father. He's like, I'm going to sleep. <laughs> if this is how you want me to die is to drown, I guess that's what it'll be. But I'm casting them on you, God. That's a whole other subtopic, right? Fear of, like, dying. And our displeasure in American society with the concept of death. That's an anxiety that many of us need to cast on God. Remember, he knows the number of our days. We try to clamor for more. He knows them. Anyway, going back, Jesus is asleep on the, on the ship. Things are going crazy. They wake him up and quote, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? What was the go-to? What was the big lie in their heart? You don't care about us. If you cared about us, we would be like calm sailing, a nice gentle breeze to catch the sails to take us across the lake. The big lie that they had to fight was, you don't care about us. Luke chapter 10, verse 40. Well, Luke chapter 10, surrounding that is this wonderful story of Mary and Martha. Remember that story? Verse 40, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? What's the big lie? You don't care. You don't care. See, casting the anxieties on God, one of the things is, what's the big lie that I'm listening to? It's something I really need to identify. If I'm nervous here and I can't release it, what's the lie that's holding me and holding on to that anxiety? You know, in the disciples' case, it was often, you don't care. You don't care about If you cared about us, then you wouldn't. And... Casting our anxieties deals with control and it deals with trust. And so much like common sense tends to leak, trust tends to leak. I mean, we go through circumstances, our faith is built, trust is established, we're confident in God's carrying us through, but then over time, we forget about that. We start walking through and and so then we're not sure whether he's going to. Over time, we, we get choked out by the concerns of this world. We neglect being thankful toward God and what he's done and his provisions and who he is. And so over time, our trust in God leaks out. And we take on the burdens of this life. Peter's reminding us that in all circumstances, past our anxiety on God. Why does Paul say, do not be anxious in anything, but in everything with prayer and petition, present your requests to God. And then he goes on and he talks about thanksgiving. Because anxiety and thanksgiving are connected. Because thanksgiving is gone. Now he was faithful there, and he was faithful there, and he was faithful there, He's faithful there, and I'm right here right now, but I look at the track record, and he's been faithful, so I need to be faithful again to him. I need to trust him. I need to cast the anxieties to him because he's proven himself in being faithful. Now, some of our struggles, we go back, and we're kind of like, well, if I was God, I would have done it different. Yes, 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 he was faithful, but I think he could have done it so that I didn't experience so much discomfort in the process. And so we start to qualify his faithfulness along the way. And what Peter is saying is, look, he was faithful then. He will be faithful today. He will be faithful tomorrow. So keep casting the anxieties on him. 
keep letting them go. But it's a decisive action. Imagine what would happen. Larry can come up and give us a demonstration. Not asking, but imagine what would happen. Actually, I could tell you firsthand fly fishing. You know, you're sitting there and you're you're getting out there, and then you're indecisive about it for a moment. What happens? Then you're right back to the beginning. Pull the line in, start over, get it going, get it going. Oh, I think I passed over that. Oh, and then it's caught up in a tree, or it's caught up in a bush, or it's. No, it's a decisive action. If you're going cast, let it go out there. Except we're not fishing, we're letting it go. Try that sometime with Larry. Cast it, cast the lure out there, and then let it go. <laughs> See whether Larry's anxiety is able to be cast on God. Keep in mind God's sovereignty in all of this. If God carries us through, then we're thankful all was good. If God carries us through pain and suffering, then we thank him for his plan. If God walks me through the valley of the shadow of death, then I thank him for being the shepherd. All of my anxieties get tossed. And this is tied with humility, right? can't control the circumstances, situations. I like to think that I can, but I can't. And as we think about this Holy Week, I told you I'd interweave a little bit for you. Remember, Jesus could have had full control. Remember that? The guarded scenario, they're coming to arrest him. He goes, I, I can call down the angels. I could have full control of this. And we know the anxiety and the distress Jesus was going through, right? Sweating drops of blood. He's, he, he's like, I don't want this, God. I don't, I, but what does he do? He casts it, but your will, not mine. And then he reminds them all, I have complete control if I want it. But he humbles himself before the Father having cast the anxieties, and he goes, this is my lot for humanity. This morning, what anxieties am I needing to surrender to God? We are human. Listen, we are human. It's okay that we encounter anxiety. This is not a sermon on you should never be anxious. If that was the case, Peter would have said, stop being anxious. No, he goes, in your anxiety, I'm trying to tell you what to do with it. Anxiety is a, it's an identifier, right? It's a metric. It, it tells me that something's going on in my soul, in my mind, in my being that is discomforted. So I need to search out that big lie and I need to be able to cast it back to God. Well, well, I, I'm anxious because I, I don't have a job after May 29th. I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I, I, I could sit here and I could, I could lie awake at night and I could try to figure it out. Or I could go, God's been faithful in the past. And so I'm going to cast it on God and trust that he's going to do what he desires to do with it. Whatever that is. I may not like it, but do I believe 
Sorry, Christina. Do I believe he is good? Do I believe that? Or is that is that my deep lie? It's, it's not that he doesn't care for me. Oh, he cares for me, but he's not good. Is that the big lie that I've bought into? What is it that's causing the anxiety? Again, anxiety in and of itself is not bad, but what we do with it. And so Peter says, cast it. Cast it. Number three. First part of verse four. Be sober-minded, be watchful, remain calm and collected. When we discuss spiritual warfare, it's easy to become distracted rather than focused. Peter says sober-minded. This is a theme throughout the letter. You can go back in chapter 1, verse 13, and chapter 4, verse 7. He talks about the sober-mindedness. And then again, he provides a... By the way, this is, a, this is an ancient way of, of developing something. He says one thing, then he says it again differently. Look at it, 8a. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Those are not two separate things. They're one and the same. He's defining being sober-minded. It's to be watchful, to be attentive is to be cautious and give strict attention to something. And it parallels with his instructions to cast our anxieties on God. In casting our anxieties, it helps us to become sober-minded and watchful. Again, these words, being sober-minded and being watchful, carry an intentionality about them. I'm not just sitting here casually going through life and whatever comes my way. I am walking through life looking at what God's doing. Some of you are familiar with, with Henry Blackaby experiencing God. And, and the, one of the root questions in that all the time is, where is God at work? So I'm not just going through and when God smacks me in the face, I go, oh, there's God. How, how could I have missed it? No, I'm walking through and I'm going, where is God at work? Where is God at work? Because the second question Blackaby asks in his material is, how do I join him where he's working? So instead of sitting back just going, okay, God, hey, would you make it? Here's, here's a famous prayer of Christians, myself included. Hey, God, would you just make it obvious to me? I know from the laughter, nobody else has had that encounter. So, you know, would you just make it plain? And, well, here's the thing. If we were being sober-minded and being watchful, He's already made it plain and obvious to us. It's just we're slow in catching up sometimes. Right? And so so God's going, just keep your eyes open. Just keep looking. Don't try to skirt through life. Don't just try to slide through life. You're not on a slip and slide from birth to death. You're on a journey and you need to be looking around and seeing how I'm interacting. And, and so this whole idea is that we have an intentional pursuit in the process. It's the very thing that Jesus calls us to do in regard to the end times. Be attentive. Be watchful for what's going on because the signs will reveal themselves. It's the instruction to Peter, James, and John in the garden. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. And pray. What was the what's the second part of that? Watch and pray why? So you don't fall into temptation. How many of us struggle with something in our lives sin related because we're not actually paying attention to what's going on? 
which is why Billy Graham had his principle. He never went by himself, nor did he enter first into his hotel room. Why? Because he said, I need to be diligent and watchful and above reproach. And so my watchfulness, and, and Billy Graham was like, you know, I, I don't think he ever struggled with anything with that. But he said, I have got to be so spot on with stuff. So he had a team that journeyed with him, and one of them would go in first. And more than once did his team collect and dress a female and take her out of the hotel room before he went in. More than once. But that's being watchful. Had he taken it for granted and been like, you know, there's nothing in my life I need to worry about. Open the door. Whoa, what do I do here now? Be watchful. So do we go through life thinking that we've got victory over this struggle in our life and so all of a sudden we just kind of start to lax? It's not a struggle for me anymore. It's not a struggle for me until boom. Peter says that's spiritual warfare. Satan's not generally coming at us in a frontal assault. We'll get into more of that in a couple of weeks, but be sober-minded, be watchful. It requires humility. Remember, Jesus teaches us to pray. Lead us not into temptation. We can't sit here and go, Jesus, would you lead us not into temptation and then turn the corner because we haven't been paying attention and walk right into it. I need to have plans in place. I need to have action steps in place in advance of. Here, we leak intentionality. We leak intentionality. We get a strong start. Something has caused us the alarms, the bells, the whistles, they're going off because I see a problem ahead. So we start to put the barriers in place. We're like, hey, I I need a few friends to hold me accountable. Would you ask me these tough questions? Would you do these things? I'm diligently in scripture. I'm diligently praying. I'm conversing with my spouse about, hey, you know, I'm just being honest with you. I got this struggle. We need to be watching this. And so we've got it all fixed. And for a while, things are going great because we've built the barriers. And then maybe we even become a little arrogant. (sighs) I've got it kicked. I beat it. I'm doing well. And then maybe we even keep rolling down this line and we become lax. Our intentionality starts to wane. Peter reminds us, get back to being watchful. If you're going to engage in spiritual warfare, we have to be watchful. As I mentioned a couple weeks, we'll discuss what Peter goes on to specifically say in this verse through the end, i.e. the devil is prowling around. But our need to watch is not limited to the prowling. We need to watch our pride. That's not Satan prowling, that's us. We need to watch our pride and we need to practice humility. We need to watch our arrogance and our fears And we do that by casting our anxieties on them. We need to watch for a rebellious heart which begins to dismiss authority. 
which is practiced in submission and subjection to those who are in authority. We need to watch out for the residue of the flesh that wants to lead us astray. Watching out, being sober-minded, yes, has everything to do with what Peter's going to say next, but it's also about everything that he has set up until this point. So where do I need to re-engage in a watchful attitude? Where in my life have I become lax and I need to go, whoa, I'm starting to walk in dangerous territory here. I'm, I'm starting few few more steps down this and it's a slippery slope. Where do I need to engage in being watchful once again? We may not want to, but we are in spiritual warfare all the time. And spiritual warfare is not always about demons hiding out in the bushes or Satan or any spiritual warfare is about our own self and the things that we deal with. And our spiritual warfare is obviously physical in nature as well because it's often our bodies that struggle in those journeys. So, are we going to prepare ourselves as God invites us to? Are we going to be prepared to engage in that warfare? There are times, as Paul says, gear up and stand. Hold your ground. But there are times, as Peter is going to indicate, the devil's prowling around and you need to go on the attack. Are we prepared in either situation? See, a lot of times, as you know and you've read your history or you've heard it, hopefully a lot of times nations are defeated, armies are defeated because they begin to relax. They've positioned themselves in a place for so long and they're like, we don't see enemy anywhere around us. We're safe, so let's start partying it up. Let's start having a good old time. And then the attack comes in. In church... We could be really close to that. Where we've kind of sat back and said, man, you know, generally speaking, it's going well. And yeah, we need to keep growing and we need to. But are we really being watchful? Are we armed? Are we prepared? Right now, God may say, stand. But remember, Paul says, stand firm. He doesn't go, oh, put your AR up against the wall. Grab a Coke. Lean back. He says, stand firm. Add attention. Ready for the next motion that you might be asked to make. And Peter says, part of that is don't fall asleep while you're on post. Brothers and sisters, do we understand that the watchfulness is not just for ourselves. It's for the body. It's for each other. We have each other's back. We have each other's side. Are we watching? Are we in relationships that are deep enough for somebody to walk up to us and go, you know, I've been watching. I've been journeying with you. And I see a little breach. How can we shore that up? How do we seal that up? Well, that takes relationship. That takes honesty. It takes depth. I mean, I recognize none of us want somebody to just come up to us randomly. 
which is kind of a word of knowledge, right, and go, hey, watch your back. God's given me this image, watch your back. Rather, I'd like to have people who are helping me watch my back already. So we can be sober-minded together, we can practice humility together, because guess what? As he's watching my back, guess what I'm doing? I'm watching his back. But humility goes, I, I can do that because I don't have eyes all over my head and I, I can't see everything all the time. So, hey, I'll tell you what, you help me out and I'll help you out. And when we hear a sound, when something takes place, we cast the anxiety on our commander because we've got a relationship around us to go, hey, I'm helping you watch. I invite the worship team to come up. Father, it is easy to, to believe that we're in a, a time of peace or calm and not warfare. We need to be reminded that we are always on. We are always in warfare spiritually. Sometimes it may not be as intense as others, but we are always engaged and we need to always be on the lookout. Father, would you plug the holes that are leaking? Would you plug the holes that are, that are leaking spiritual common sense? That are leaking confidence in who you are? That are leaking intentionality? This morning as we as we participate in this song, God, would you speak to us, reminding us of those places, not condemning us, but reminding us of places that we need to show up. We need the strength. So that we can fight the fight. We can run the race. We can achieve the the crown of glory in the end. And not be taken out in the middle of that.